T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. I am so excited to introduce to you now a new book and the authors of that book. It's called Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. My goodness, we've talked about this over the years, haven't we? Inflation, inflation, inflation. Well, this book is by Steve Forbes, which we all know uh, a lot about, Nathan Lewis, and Elizabeth Ames. And Nathan Lewis is joining us tonight. Who is he? He is among the world's leading authorities on monetary policy and economic history. He is the author of The Magic Formula, The Timeless Secret to Economic Health and Prosperity, Gold, the once and future money, gold, the monetary Polaris, and gold, the final standard. My goodness, he's quite prolific. A Discovery Institute fellow, his writing has appeared in Forbes, the Financial Times, and elsewhere. He publishes the Polar's uh, Letter, a monthly investment newsletter available at NewWorldEconomics.com. Welcome to WCCO, Nathan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. My goodness, I'm sure you've been very busy, busy getting the word out about inflation. Tell us um, how this came to be and why it was important for you to be a part of it. Well, when we saw the reaction that central banks had to the COVID shock in 2020, and not just central banks, but, but, the, but the federal government and governments around the world, uh, basically spending a lot of money and also financing that money creation, uh, financing that spending essentially with money creation. Um, it was not directly connected, but that's what happened. And this is just a classic recipe for, for what we describe in the book as monetary inflation. We think the currencies around the world lost a substantial amount of value during that time. And now we're seeing the consequences of that. When currencies lose value, after a period of months and, and years, you start prices of everything start to cl- uh, climb up uh, to compensate, and that's exactly what's happening. However, we do know that money creation has been happening for a long time in this country. Correct. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the so go ahead. So then, if that is the case, money creation is absolutely at the forefront of the problem. Correct. Yes, well, money has to come from somewhere, so you have to create it, of course. Uh, but the but the the consequences of in in this case in 2020 excessive money creation was a decline in the value of the currency. Now, this is something new, relatively well, it's not that new. It's been around for 50 years. Uh, but it's important to understand that we have floating fiat currencies in this country and all the other countries. They go up and down in value. And when they go down, and the long-term trend has been for a declining value. The dollar is worth much less today than it was worth in the 1960s. And when that happens, there are consequences, and the consequences are it takes more money to buy things. 
Right. And of course, COVID had a whole lot to do with it. A pandemic dropped in the middle of our country and the world obviously is going to affect our monetary um, abilities. And so my my biggest concern about inflation is that so many Americans hear definitions from various professionals, various uh, uh, people that we trust, the voices we trust, like you and, and, and of course, <clears throat> Steve Forbes and, and Elizabeth Ames. However, the definition come, sometimes varies. Can you give us a short definition of inflation? Well, that's something we had to deal with in the book up front. And it's even, on the, it's even on the cover. What is it? And unfortunately, this word inflation kind of arises from popular speech. Uh, people have tried to apply it to very specific things in the past and have kind of failed because no one cares what they think. And so we have to, at the outset, try to, to separate different actual macroeconomic processes, cause and effect, they're all being kind of thrown in the same stew pot. And and it's actually not very hard to understand. Um, Basically, we we separated between what we call uh, non-monetary factors. And this has nothing really to do with central banks. This is just supply and demand factors. We we know we're experiencing this. Uh, And typically, these happen in wartime in the past. Um, We had a big one in World War II. Um, this is really the first time we've had these kind of persistent supply uh, supply chain factors and other factors that ha- that have had as much effect uh, as they've had. But that's real. Um, there are non-monetary reasons for prices to go up and down. And then there are the monetary reasons. And the monetary reasons are really simple to understand. Like I said, we have floating fiat currencies. They are not stable in value. And we have these because basically central banks and governments want to attempt to you know, manipulate the macro economy, uh, which is a new policy. We didn't have this prior to 1971, but we have it now. And when they do this, the long-term trend has been for declining currency value. I, I estimate that the dollar today is worth, actually, I estimate it's worth about 150th of what it was worth in the 1960s, although although it differs from the CPI. And as long as we have this kind of let's fool with the economy with funny money system, which we've all grown, which we've all been living in, currencies will have a tendency to decline in value, which means in time they'll take more and more money to buy things. But the decline in value hits a specific part of Americans, right? Um, we know that it causes more poverty. Uh, it it attacks those that have less than. They're not a part of the middle class. They are those that have less than. And so knowing that inflation can really cause or increase poverty, how do you deal with that? How do you see that from what perspective and what moves you to action? Uh, that's right. It's real it's simple to understand. If, if the currency loses value, then obviously the, the, the value of, of the money you're paid to work, your wages, goes down in value, in real value, not nominally. Um, the value of all your of most of your assets, stocks and bonds, are, are actually declining in value. And so it makes people poorer. Or as they used to say in the past, you can't devalue yourself to prosperity. Uh, we don't really have official devaluations anymore. They, the currencies just kind of dribble away while no one's looking. They don't want to talk about it, but it happens. Um, you can't devalue yourself to prosperity. You can't you can't make people richer by reducing the value of their wages and their assets. Um, and you just see this around the world. Uh, the country with the worst with the worst currencies always have the worst outcomes. I it used to take three Mexican pesos to buy a dollar in the early '90s. We have this example in the book. Now it takes twenty. You know, it takes six times more pesos. Guess what happened to prices in Mexico? They went up six times. 
<laughs> compared to the United States. It's really easy to understand. And why, why it seems like, you know, we have the iPhone 13 now. It's amazing. But it seems like ever since we started this fiat money system in 1971, American family, you know, the middle class, the working people have had a real t- hard time getting ahead. Um, it seems like just to afford the things that one uh, middle class income used to afford in the 1960s now takes two incomes. Why is that? Well, mm. money's not worth as much. It's real simple. <laughs> but it feels like the rest of the world, not the world, the rest of, um, I should, well, the rest of the world, yeah, the big countries, the democracies, they know. Um, that you're eventually going to have inflation, that it's all part of the existence of being here on the planet, right? Um, Because the democracies cost a lot of money, right? The big challenge for me is trying to understand how is it that some countries deal with inflation so much better than we do? Well, actually, the United States has been among – the United States track record is quite poor, I think. But nevertheless, it's been among the better better countries. There hasn't been any of that have been particularly better, which is why the United States dollar is still world's leading currency. But it's important to understand that uh, we didn't used to do things these way, this way. We didn't have this funny money system that resulted in a long-term decline in currency value. We had the stable value system uh, for almost two centuries up until 1971. The, the idea was to keep the dollar as stable in value as possible. And that way, you know, your income of $50,000. If you got a raise to 60000 that was real. That was a real increase in income. That wasn't just catching up to, you know, the rising price of gas or the you know, rising prices. Mm-hmm. It was a real increase. And that's how the middle-class Americans went from, uh, became the most prosperous middle-class the world has ever seen in, in the 1960s. That was, and we accomplished that, of course, with the gold standard system. I wrote three books about it. And and we had democracy, too. We had also had democracy for nearly two centuries, although not as many social programs as we have today. Um, so it's important for Americans to understand that we got rich and we were successful a certain, with a certain strategy, and now we're not following that strategy. And it seems like we have reached a sort of crisis era um, where maybe things will not muddle through and kind of reach their end game. Okay, so leadership is everything. So where do you believe we began this slide again? Uh, well, Richard Nixon was, was famous for, for ending the gold standard era in the United States. Uh, from the founding of the country in, in 1789 to 1971, the value of the dollar really didn't change. There was one devaluation in 1933 under Roosevelt. But except for that one change, uh, the value of the dollar basically didn't change. And now here we are. Um, you know, a barrel of oil used to cost three bucks in the sixties. Now it's 120, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, did oil become more valuable? No, it, it's your money. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, you know, how, how can we get back maybe to that, uh, to that system, the stable value system that made us wealthy in the past? Well, you know, in politics, things don't change until they have to change. Um, but also it's important to hold, I think, to hold that idea in our heads, in, in our minds. What do we really want? Well, we want a, a currency, a dollar, which is not just central bankers play thing so they can, I don't know, make excuses about the last recession, but which is reliable in the long term. And, and for those two centuries, we didn't have an inflation problem as long as we stuck with that principle. And we didn't have cryptocurrency. How is that affecting inflation? 
Uh, well, it's not really affecting it at all uh, right now. But cryptocurrencies, by its, by itself, the main cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so forth, are kind of very unstable, speculative. Um, I mean, they kind of look mostly like gambling devices to me. Um, but it, it does hold the promise of what's known as stable coins, of a real alternative currencies. And these are kind of just getting started. But if central banks and governments are not going to behave themselves properly, give the people the kind of reliable means of transaction that they want and used to have in the past, then maybe the private sector can step in through some kind of crypto-based uh, system and, and and provide that service. The book Inflation argues uh, that the best way to end inflation and to spur economic growth is through a return to a sound dollar anchored by gold. What gold? You know, I, no one seems to be able to know how much gold there is, if there is any. Well, the amount of it, there has been over the over the over the decades. Mm-hmm. A little too much focus on on quantities of gold, and the real idea is you want to keep the value of the dollar stable versus gold. So gold is your anchor. Gold is the thing that you use to stabilize uh, your currency. So it's just a measure. If you say you know uh, to say uh, thirty five dollars per ounce of gold, which is what it was in the nineteen sixties, it's kind of saying like a dollar that's twelve inches long. It's a measure, right? We want our dollar to be tw- exactly twelve inches long, not ten not eight, not whatever Jay Powell makes up when he gets out of bed in the morning. We want it to be 12 today and tomorrow and next year and a deck 10 years from now. And that's what the gold standard accomplished. It, it's a way because we want it to be stable in value. And, and we've discovered over centuries that the most stable thing around is gold. So if you make your currency at the same value as gold, you achieve your goal. That's basically how it works. It doesn't really have to do with, you know, this many ounces in this vault over here or something like that. So inflation erodes the value of our money, correct? Just want to make sure I got uh, this straight. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so where do we go from here? Uh, well, you mean like make predictions about to where, where uh, things are going How do right we get now? out of this mess? Because we, the inflation is like on our back. It's always on our back, and all of a sudden it comes to the front, to the forefront, and we have to deal with it. It seems like it's just a part of the United States. It's maddening to me. And knowing how many people are adversely affected by it all, every time we hear inflation, I, I am terrified there will be families that can't go and buy their groceries. I walked out of uh, one of our most um, well-known, uh, most expensive grocery stores right here in the Twin Cities, and I walked out with two bags, and it cost me $92. And I didn't have any meat in that other than eggs, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you just start to look. And I feel very fortunate. I'm not wealthy like you are or like Steve Forbes is and that sort of thing. And, and maybe the, the lightheartedness that you, that you ex, exude in this conversation could be that you know and you are frustrated by inflation. You're frustrated that we're at this again. But for those that are really feeling it in their, not just in their purses, because it's, it, it's, it's just never enough. It seems like it's the thing that we need to do. We're always told that inflation is something we have to deal with in order to get back on track, but we never seem to get back on track. What do you yes, say? Ex- exactly. Well, there, there are two things going on right now. One is we really do have these supply demand issues. We really do have shortages of certain things. And the central bank can't fix that. You have to go and, you know, 
deal with truckers and deal with shipping and, and deal with production right. of, of automobiles and, and those things and housing and all those things. So you have to do that. And, and in the past, we did that very easily. For some reason, it, it's not working very well and government has something to do with that. Um, but then, uh, you know, sticking to the monetary side, the, the central bank, the management of the currency. Uh, yeah, we have we have lived in an inflationary era and it's probably going to get worse. Um, it, it's my is my crystal ball view. But we have to, and it makes people poor, you know, just as you know, the, the Mexican guys, when their peso goes from three to the dollar to 20, uh, this, when our currency does something similar, which it, it is doing, um, the same thing happens to us. You know, look at Mexico, you know, China got rich, Korea got rich, Mexicans still, you know, thinking around 30 years later. Uh, it's a, it's a road to stagnation. And the way that, the way that it is fixed, the way is to, as I mentioned, uh, stabilize the value of the currency. We have to. We, you, nobody got rich by by devaluing the currency, you know, allowing the currency to decline in value. You have to stabilize it. And the politics being what it is, the pressures that are. It doesn't matter who, how smart the guy is at the central bank. They experience political pressures. And on balance, on average, you know, there's it kind of goes back and forth. But on average. The outcome of those political pressures that any human feels in that position leads them to make decisions that lead to declining currency value. And the, and, the, and and people understood this. People understood this when they wrote the Constitution. That's why it's in the Constitution. It says in Article One, "Gold and silver only shall be the money in this country." And we and we stuck by that rule for almost two centuries, and we became extremely wealthy. Uh, that is the long-term solution. How you do it? Um, in the short term, you can you can stabilize the value of the currency without necessarily linking it to gold. Uh, and Alan Greenspan did that during his more successful years. Um, but then that guy leaves and some new guy comes in and we have another round of the same old game. Uh, so it's only been a temporary solution. You know, I am a an African-American woman who is getting a master's degree, who has mm -hmm. two children um, and three grandchildren. And I am terrified of what is happening to the poor, for those that have less than, that aren't even poor. They're just enough. They're ahead just enough to almost make it. And I cry tears. And what I hear from you, Nathan, is I hear joy in your voice. Maybe you're so sick of it. Maybe it's become a joke to many like you who feel like, gosh, we're in this again. I'm not quite sure of it. All I know is that I have really been moved by this interview that I don't, I, I'm very clear that what I thought I understood about inflation consistently plaguing us in this country. I don't really don't understand it like I should. And so I've got to do my homework more. Just know that just hearing a laughter from you when it talks about the poor, oh yeah, there's always going to be the poor, this sort of thing, it, it hurts me to my core. I have to stop myself from crying. So I understand that you have dealt with this. I know that you are probably really frustrated with it. But please understand on my side of the fence what it feels like to hear what this is doing to a certain group of people in this country. I thank you for joining me, for taking the time tonight, Nathan. And I do hope that I will be able to talk with you again. Sure. It's been a pleasure. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Oh, 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 Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.